Good morning. Good morning. Is am I on here? I think my light's on. There we go. Let's try it again. Good morning. Good morning. What is today? Sunday. Sunday morning. Great, great. Hey, what do you do whenever you don't understand something? You ask questions. I had somebody uh, this morning, they were working through a passage. They said, hey, what does this mean? I don't understand it. Can you help me to understand it? And so we talked about it and they were able to get it. That is good. Why, why do we read the Bible? Why do we listen to sermons? Why do we do that? To understand, good. And so if you don't understand, the way that you find out is you ask questions. And hopefully you'll get an answer and one that will help you. So uh, listen, if, you, if, uh, if, you're, if you're listening and hopefully you're listening to this and as we're working through First Thessalonians, we want you to understand. We're asking that God would use His Word in your heart to maybe convict you, maybe encourage you, maybe help you understand as we answer these questions. On Sunday mornings, we're going through some pretty hard material, the book of Romans. And so it's, it's, it's pretty thick, right? And, uh, and we're, we're working through it. So as you're listening, as you're taking notes, if you don't understand something, ask your mom and dad. And you know what? They will be encouraged that you are listening. If you don't understand, ask them. Hey, I didn't understand when Pastor Scott said this. What did he mean? Or what's he really talking about here? That shows, that'll be an encouragement to them because they just might, if you don't ask questions, guess what they might assume? Either you're checked out and you're not listening or that you know it all, that you understood it perfectly. And so it will encourage them to listen and they'll be encouraged as well to help you. So if you don't understand something, just ask. We're, we're here to help. Why do we go to church on Sunday morning? Somebody other than Elias. You've used your quota today, man. Thank you for being a, a good starter. All right. Yes, sir. That is exactly right. We, we go to church on Sunday morning because that is the day that God raised Jesus from the dead. Again, all about the resurrection. The Jews worship God on Saturday or on Shabbat or on the Sabbath. Christians worship God on Sunday because that was the day that, they ra- that He raised Jesus from the dead. So again, just, just helping you connect the dots. That's why the resurrection is key. The resurrection makes Christianity different. Remember the three necessary parts of the gospel? What was part number one? Somebody in the back, Peter? Hey! (laughs) It's okay. Fact number one from 1 Corinthians 15. Do you remember? Yeah, one of the three necessary facts of the gospel or parts of the gospel. Yes. Great. Perfect, Peter. Thank you. Uh, Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. The second part was Haven what? That He was buried. Good. Yes, ma'am. Go ahead. Number three. 
That's right, that he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. Perfect! You guys are doing great! Right? You understand what Christianity is all about, why we worship on Sunday morning, what the gospel is all about, and why is it necessary for you to know that stuff about the gospel? So the, are those just facts that, that don't help you? Why, why should you know that? Yes, sir. Stetson. Yeah, so that you can so that you can become a Christian. Good. That's the first part, right? So that God can forgive you because you believed on Jesus and trusted in him. But there's one more part of it. Yes, sir. That's exactly right. Man, you guys are on fire this morning. And who says you need eight hours of sleep, right? You guys are doing great. Good, so you, you're, you've got it. So, so we've been talking about becoming imitators because that was the big deal that Paul found out about the Thessalonians according to chapter 1 and verse 6 that you also became imitators, right? And so the question is, how do you know if you become an imitator of Jesus Christ? And Paul is working through that with us and he's answering the question, how do you know? And the first part is we found out in verse number 3 was that the gospel changes how you live. He says here, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. So Paul was praying about them. He was giving thanks to God for what the Lord had done in their hearts, in their lives. And there was something that stuck in his head. It was something that he had seen about them that proved that the gospel had changed the way that they lived. There were three things that we talked about last night. Do you remember what they were? That is, number one, that you have genuine faith that works, right? In other words, your faith causes you to be different in the way that you live. You have a, you have a lifestyle where you want to please God. Second, you have true love that labors, right? You, you want to help other people, right? Because you love them and so you don't have to be asked to do something. You'll just jump in and do it. Jump in and help. Where you see a need this morning, we had an accident in the back. We had a we had a uh, an overflow issue, and there was coffee all over the counter. And we had some people that were just ready to help. They were drying up coffee everywhere. I mean, it was it was ugly to start with, but it was great afterwards. And that was a labor of love, right? They they did it uh, without complaining. They didn't have to be paid, right? They, they just did it because they wanted to. It was a labor of love. So the way that you know that the gospel changes how you live, and you can see it in other people, is they have genuine faith that works, true love that labors, and then finally was a real hope that endures. In other words, as life gets challenging, you know, it's not easy. No doubt about it. Nobody's going to say that it is. But you, you keep on, right? You keep on keeping on. You stick with it. You don't quit, right? You, you are trusting that somebody is going to work it all out, and the person who's going to work it all out is God, right? Or... Jesus. Jesus, that's exactly this is one where Jesus always works, right? Jesus, he's going to work it out. He is. So, sometimes our parents blow it, sometimes our brother or sister blows it, sometimes we blow it, right? But you know what? God's going to work it all out and we can be hopeful about that. 
So the gospel changes how you live. Paul knew that the gospel had changed the Thessalonians. It caused him to give thanks to God for them. But here's another way that you know whether or not the gospel has changed you. And it's in verses 4 through 7. And it's where we're going to talk about this morning. And that is the gospel reveals who God loves. Think about that for just a second. The gospel reveals who God loves. So the gospel changes how you live and the gospel reveals who God loves. You say, what, what do you mean, Scott? Well, notice what the second reason that he gives thanks to God. Verse number two, we give thanks to God always, right? For all of you making mention of you in our prayers. Look at verse number four. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, what? His choice of you. Paul says, we know that God loves you, the Thessalonians, with a redeeming love. Why? Because He chose you. You say, what do you mean? God chose the people who were saved. Now, this gets into a little bit of a sticky situation. And you will hear people talk about free will. And the question comes, did, did God choose me or did I choose God? And some people will say, well, listen, don't take away my, my choice. I'm pro-choice here, right? I'm in, in, in this sense, not in the other sense. I'm, people will say, I'm pro-choice in the, I think that I choose to follow God. Well, who chose whom here? Did the Thessalonians choose God or did God choose them? What does it say in your Bible? It says, His choice of you. God chose you. According to the text, God chose the Thessalonians or God elected them. In other words, God chose them to be part of His family. Now, you say, when did that happen? Well, we could talk about election this morning, but we don't have enough time. Pastor Roy didn't give me enough time in order to talk to you about that this morning. So you'll have to invite me back another time. But He chose them before the foundation of the world. And this is one of the main reasons that Paul gives thanks. He says, God, I thank you that, that you have chosen chosen these people to save. Uh, that you've saved them. Why? Because you chose them. You elected them. You, you, you decided that they were going to be part of your family. By the way, why does God do that? Why does God choose any of us? Anybody know? That's a really deep question. Yes, sir. Go ahead. Because He loves us. Not because we're lovable. Not because we're, we're good. But simply because He loves us. That's why He did it. It's all because of Him. Now, we're, we're looking at this and we see that, that Paul gives thanks for the Thessalonians because God chose them. So here's a question. How do you know if someone is part of the elect? How do you know if God has chosen somebody? That's a hard question. What if your friend says, hey, I heard about election. How do I know if I'm part of the elect? Well, how do you know? Well, Paul tells us here. He says, I know that the Thessalonians were part of God's elect, that God had chosen them. How? He tells us because there was supernatural delivery of the message. It's right here in verse number 5. He says, the reason that I know that you Thessalonians are part of God's elect and the reason I can give thanks 
is because of supernatural delivery. Now what is he talking about? He's talking about the way that they were able to bring the Word. The way they were able to preach the Gospel. You say, really? Yeah, look at verse number 5. And he says there, For or because, knowing brethren, beloved by God, His choice of you, for, here's the reason he knows, our Gospel did not come to you in Word only. That's how we know. That's one of the reasons, one of the ways that we know. Now, the gospel has to come in word. It almost seems necessary to say that, right? Because some people will say, have you ever heard anybody say this? Share the gospel and if necessary, use words. Have you ever heard anybody say that? A couple people have. Share the gospel and if necessary, use words. You know what? Words are always necessary when you share the gospel. There's something called friendship evangelism. Have you ever heard that? Uh, It's heavy on friendship, light on evangelism. In other words, if I just be somebody's friend, they'll want to follow Jesus. That's not the way that it goes. That is not how it happens. Do you remember? Paul would go into the synagogue and what would he would do? He would reason from the scriptures that Jesus died, that he was buried, and that he rose again. It was sharing the facts of the gospel. So the message has to be spoken or written or sung, even in, even in a song. The content of the gospel can be there. So as you're thinking about this, as you are wondering about you know, your own personal relationship with God, it, it all centers on the words of the gospel. Second, not only did the gospel come in word, but it came in power. Paul says, you know what? This wasn't just words. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power. In other words, there was something supernatural about this. Uh, Words by themselves are seldom enough because what? People don't want to be told that they're not going to heaven because they're not good people. Can you imagine that if somebody told you you're not a good person? What would you say? I would say, you don't know the half of it, right? You don't know how my heart and what goes on. I'm, I'm not a good person. But what he's saying here is there's something about this message. It came not only in word, but it came in power. Sinful people don't like to be told that they're sinful. They have blind eyes and they have hard hearts and they're resistant to the gospel. And they won't like the message unless there's a supernatural powerful work that's taking place. Now think about this for just a second. Why is it that whenever you, whenever you tell some of your friends the gospel, they want to listen and other friends don't? Why is that? Because there is a supernatural work taking place. The message itself of the gospel is powerful. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. But also, whenever you're sharing the gospel or communicating the gospel, the Holy Spirit will empower you to do that. In other words, He'll give you the ability to communicate that truth and He will help them to hear it. There is a spiritual dynamic about the gospel that is unlike any other message that you can communicate. In other words, the gospel is the most important message to know and it's the most important message to share. Paul says to the Thessalonians, listen, we know you're part of the elect. We know that God chose you because of the way we were able to deliver the word. 
We brought it in word. We brought it in power. Third, he says, we brought it in spirit. Notice what he says. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. In other words, there was someone else preaching besides Paul. The person behind the power spoken of is the Holy Spirit. You see, the power of a preacher or the power of a person sharing the gospel is never to be about their personality. Now, you, you, don't, you don't want to be offensive in the way that you talk and you don't want to, you don't want to unnecessarily say things that are controversial. But, but I'm not, we're not dependent on being funny or being likable in order for people to understand the message. What you should be dependent on is the Holy Spirit empowering that message so that people can hear and understand. The Holy Spirit was definitely doing that as, as the Thessalonians were listening. There's one more way in which this was a supernatural delivery. Paul says that it, the Word came in power and in word and in spirit and with conviction. Or we could say with assurance. Notice what Paul says. We know that you're part of the, the elect because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know, whenever I first read that in English, I thought, full conviction, man, they must have really been convicted of the things they were doing wrong. In other words, they must have thought, oh, God knows everything I've been doing that's wrong. That's not what this is saying. It doesn't mean conviction for wrongdoing. The word means assurance. In other words, when Paul was talking to these people, he knew what they needed. He knew that the, the secret or the key to them having a different life was the gospel. In other words, he was certain of that. He was confident of that. And because of that, he could be bold in what he was saying. In fact, he knew that the gospel could change people's lives because it had changed his life. It had changed the other missionaries. He said, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. The same Holy Spirit that changed Paul and that changed Timothy and that changed Silvanus was the same Holy Spirit who had changed the Thessalonians. Do you know that same Holy Spirit changed me? And if you're a follower of Jesus, He's the same Holy Spirit that changed you. Uh, changed James, changed Roy, changed Mike, changed, uh, changed Julie. It's the Holy Spirit who enables us to hear the message and believe the gospel. Let me ask you a question. Do you know the gospel? We've talked about it a lot here. You guys have done great. You know it's about the resurrection. You know that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that God raised him from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures. And you know that because of what he did on the cross for us, we can be forgiven, right? Do you tell your friends about that? Do you know that whenever your friends are going through life and if they're not Christians, do you know that their greatest need is not to be faster with the Rubik's Cube, although that's a pretty big need, right? For some. Um, the greatest need is actually to know Jesus and to be forgiven. So do you share the gospel with other people? What, what's that like whenever you do? Do you, do you use words or is it friendship evangelism? Do you just try to be their friend and hope they'll like Jesus too because you like Jesus? 
No, you have to talk to them about the gospel. And when you do, do you realize what's taking place? Do you realize this is a different type of a message? This is something that can help them, but it's not just you that is saying it. It's actually the Holy Spirit who will be working in their heart to help them to understand it and to help them to believe it. Are you dependent on Him for help? Do you realize that whenever I'm over here before, I'm coming up here to talk to you, and every Sunday morning before I get up to preach, I'm praying and I'm asking God for help. Do you know that sometimes I'm asking the Lord for help while I'm preaching? Do you know that some people fall asleep whenever I'm preaching? Did you know that? I mean, I know that doesn't happen here, but uh, I, it happens back home at church sometime. And, and you know what? I think, man, I don't, I don't want to be boring, right? I, I, I don't want them to be bored. And so I'm asking God, help me, please help me to communicate this message so that they understand it. That's what you should be doing whenever you're telling somebody about Jesus is in your heart, you should be asking God to help them to understand. And here's the final question. Do you believe that the gospel can change people? I can tell you it does. I can tell you it changed me. I can tell you it changed Pastor Roy. I can tell you that it changed a lot of people in this room. And it's the only thing that really brings about change. Now, hey, you need to know something. Listen up. I want you to understand something. Not everybody's going to believe the gospel. You say, what? Yeah, it's true. You say, well, why not? And, and the tendency is to think that if I share the gospel, they might not like me. You've got to get past that, right? But you need to know some people are going to believe it and some people aren't. And if they don't believe it, guess what? It's not your fault. It's not. You don't know who's going to believe it, who's part of the elect and who's not. So you're just telling everybody, right? You're just kind of passing it out. You're making sure that people know what it is. And you know what? You need to be prepared for the fact that not everybody's going to believe. Do you remember whenever they were in Thessalonica? And do you remember that it said there were a few Jews that believed, but there were a lot of devout Greeks? What happened to those Jews that didn't believe? They got angry. And they went to Jason's house, right? Hey, Jason, bring out Paul. We want to have a word with him, right? They're upset. They heard the same message. Why is it that some people believe and some people don't? It's not because Paul did a bad job, or you do a bad job, or I do a bad job. It's because God is at work in some people's hearts and not other people. And you say, well, why didn't he work in everybody's heart? Because he chooses not to. And you know what? He gets to make that choice. So, the question is then, whose heart is he working in? And the answer is, we don't know, right? And so what do we do? We start talking to everybody about Jesus. Why? Because he's the only one who can change us. Now, I've been telling you that the gospel not only changes the way that we live, but the gospel reveals whom God loves. And Paul could say, listen, I know that God loved the Thessalonians because of the way that we were able to deliver the message, the gospel. It was a supernatural delivery, but that's not all. There was a supernatural response. You say, what do you mean? 
Verse number 6 says that they became imitators. This is how we know that, that the Thessalonians were part of the elect, that God chose them. Because verse 6 says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Man, something happened in the hearts of the Thessalonians. I mean, they were living for themselves, trying to be religious, trying to be good, and yet God changed them and made them imitators of the missionaries and of Jesus. Paul said, you start acting like us. You start talking like us. You started responding like we do. Why? Because God gave them new values and new desires. Remember I told you about how the Lord changed my heart? Remember I told you that the things that I used to do I didn't want to do anymore? And I wanted, I wanted to tell people about the Lord and I wanted to read the Bible. I wanted to go to church and I wanted to learn about God. My, my, I didn't like that before. God changed me. And I wanted to be around people who love God too. And, and I was brand new as a Christian. And so I was kind of holding tight to my pastor. And I was saying, what do you do when this kind of situation comes up? And I was asking him all these questions. that I was trying to share Jesus. And the guy said this, what do I say now? In fact, I was uh, I, I would be talking to my friends and, and 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 say I don't know the answer to that, but let me get back with you. And I would go and ask my pastor, and he would tell me. And I would watch the way that he would handle and deal with people, and I would watch what he would how he would respond. And and I wanted to imitate him. Why? Because I knew that he loved Jesus. Paul says that's what happened with Thessalonians. You became an imitator. Well, how? How did they imitate Paul and Jesus? Two ways. Notice what he says. You welcomed the word in spite of suffering. He says that you became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation. That's the way you imitated Paul. That's the way they imitated Jesus, is they received the word in much tribulation. In other words, there was a lot of people who said, Don't believe what Paul's saying! And yet you wanted to hear more. It's like some people will say, listen, don't go to that church, Northwest Community Church. They're teaching the Bible. Who wants to hear that? I do. I want to hear it. I want to learn. Paul says that you received the word in much tribulation. You welcomed it. It's amazing that this took courage and yet God did that work in them. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 2, 14 and 15. Paul will later say, For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men. Guys, listen up. Not everybody likes Jesus. Not everybody likes Christians. Not everybody wants to go to church. And you're going to meet people in life, friends in school, whatever it may be, neighbors, family members maybe, who say, you're, you're one of those religious people, a nut, a zealot, a Jesus freak, whatever it is, and they might start making fun of you. 
In fact, there may be people who try to get you in trouble because they don't like the fact that you follow Jesus. There are just people that are like that. That's what these Jews were like. They wanted to make life miserable for Christians. They threw Jason in jail. They ran Paul out of Thessalonica. They chased him to Berea. Later, you'll find out that they actually picked up rocks and tried to kill him. They just, they hate Christians. And some people hate God and are hostile to the gospel. Why? Because it challenges their pride and their self-indulgence. But you know what? Thessalonians said, it's all right, it's all good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep telling people about Jesus. I'm going to welcome the word in spite of suffering. They welcomed the message even though there was suffering involved. They became an imitator of Jesus and of Paul by responding in a similar fashion. So, so what do you think it was like? What do you think happened whenever they were persecuted? Instead of being miserable and complaining and thinking, man, I, I really shouldn't be following Jesus. This isn't working out very well for me. In fact, Paul would roll into the synagogue. He would share the gospel. People would be converted and other people would try to kill him. They run him out of town. And what did he do whenever he got into the next town? Goes straight to the synagogue and does it again. What happened was, instead of being miserable, they were characterized by joy. Notice what Paul says here. It's pretty remarkable. You became the imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation. Watch this. With the joy of the Holy Spirit. That was the second way that they became an imitator of Paul and of Jesus because they welcomed the word with the joy of the Holy Spirit. This is pretty remarkable. Now think about this for a second. The same Holy Spirit that gave power to the preachers of the gospel was the same Holy Spirit who gave joy to the people who were listening. Do you realize that whenever God forgives you, but that's the most important thing in life. Do you understand that whenever you become a Christian, that there's nothing else that is more important than that? So we have four sons, right? And now two daughter-in-laws and one granddaughter, by the way. But do you know what we pray for or what is the most important thing that we pray for our sons? That they would love Jesus that they would follow Him. Why? Because that's the most important thing. Do you know that if your parents are Christians, that's what they pray for, for you more than anything else? They want you to know Jesus. They want you to love Jesus. They want you to, to, to want to walk with Him. Why? Because that's the most important thing in life. And whenever you become a follower of Jesus, He does something supernatural. He gives you joy. He gives you joy. Here's the thing that I want you guys to, 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 to get here. Whenever you see things happening from God's perspective, whenever you're able to see the change that, that the Lord is making in people's hearts, like the change that God made in Mr. Plummer's heart, uh, and the things that are going on, whenever you know the true source of those change, then you're able to be thankful to God because God is the one who does it. And probably one of the greatest joys for Paul and the others was to see the Thessalonians change. To see the gospel take root in their heart. Let me ask you a question. Do, do you welcome the gospel? 
You know, it's easy to follow Jesus whenever you live in a Christian home, but what about if your friends at school don't like it whenever you start talking about Jesus? Do you still want to believe the gospel in spite of suffering? And what about if they start persecuting you? Do you suddenly want to think, maybe I need to rethink this, and maybe following Jesus isn't such a great idea? Paul says that you can have spiritual joy even whenever you're persecuted for the gospel if you become an imitator. Well, what was the result of all of that? Well, there was a supernatural response. They became imitators by welcoming the Word in spite of suffering, by welcoming the Word with spiritual joy. And not only did they become imitators or mimics of Paul and Jesus, but notice verse 7, and we'll pull this together, you became examples. He says, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. In other words, the Thessalonians became what Paul and Silas and Timothy had been to them. They now became examples. Who are the examples that you have here in student ministry? Who are they? Name some. Just shout it out. You don't have to raise your hand. Roy. Roy. Okay, he's an example. Who else? Chris. Chris. Who else? Mike. Hudson. Hudson. Who else? Mike. Mike. Mr. Plummer, give me some ladies. We got some good examples. Yeah, come on, ladies, step up. Mrs. Plummer, right? Sarah, right? Uh, Rachel, you guys have some great examples here. But here's the thing that happened with the Thessalonians, and what can happen with you is that you become the example. That's what happened with the Thessalonians. The Thessalonians had Paul as an example, but they then became examples whenever they started following Jesus. Do you realize the impact that you can have by following Jesus and by pleasing God? People will watch you. By the way, news alert, news flash, people are going to watch you if you say that you follow Jesus. Did you know that? Now you might think, well, don't look at me. Well, guess what? They will. Because you might be the only Christian they know. And they're going to watch you. And you will become an example. This is remarkable. That people who were once without God were then elected and loved by God and they became an example. Do you realize I was in no way, shape, or form an example and didn't want... I was a bad example before the Lord saved me. And I want to be a good example now. But it's something that God does within each of our hearts. And for the Thessalonians, the righteous way they were living and the joyful way they were suffering and the fearless way they were sharing the gospel was an example to other people. Do you realize that? When you try to please God and make good choices, whenever you're joyful, even when life is hard, and whenever you're willing to share the gospel, even though your friends may reject you, you are being a great example for other believers. Notice here that they'd not become a model or an example to their pagan neighbors, but to all who were in Macedonia and all who were in Achaia, who would believe. God had done a great work in the lives and hearts of the Thessalonians. And if you're a follower of Jesus, 
and He is your model, you will inevitably become an example for others. Do you understand that? Do you realize that you're an example for somebody? A good example or a bad example? Somebody, listen, somebody is looking at you. Somebody's watching you. And so think, if, if, if I'm following the Lord, I want to be a good example. And that's what happened to the Thessalonians. If you have questions during the time with your leaders, ask them. Because these are really, really important truths for us to understand. Okay? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity that you give us in order to open your word together. Thank you for the change that you make in people's lives. Thank you that, that we can find out who God loves by the way the word is delivered and the way the word is received. And thank you for the change that you made in the hearts of the Thessalonians. And Father, I would pray for each of our students that they would become imitators of Paul and of Jesus and that in the way that they receive the word in suffering and with joy and I pray that they would become examples. Thank you for the change that you can make in a heart and I pray that your word would have that transforming effect as the spirit of God uses it and we pray all of this for your honor and for your glory in Jesus name. Amen.